Before we begin the podcast, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm recording on stolen and unseeded Gadigal lands. Welcome back to That's Hot, the podcast helping you get even hotter than you already are by giving you all of the information that you need to help the world get cooler. I'm Tegan, and today it's just me, because Lizzie is away competing at an athletics event. So good luck to you, Lizzie. In today's episode, I'm going to be chatting to Brie Kerr, one of the co-founders of an incredible social enterprise and a climate-positive coffee company, Kua. I've actually been a Kua at home coffee drinker for a little while, so I'm super excited for this one. Let's get straight into it. That's hot. That's hot. That's hot. That's hot. That's hot. That's hot. That's so hot. Brie, thank you so much for chatting with me today. So to kick things off, can you paint a picture of what the coffee industry looks like? And I guess a part of that, the sustainability issues that are surrounding the industry. Yeah. Big question. Very Uh, big. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The coffee industry is huge. I guess the way that we interface with it in a country like Australia is mostly through cafe culture, products like pods, products Mm -hmm. like instant coffee, but it's an industry that's far bigger than countries where I guess coffee is predominantly consumed, countries like Australia. And there's a big history behind coffee. And a lot of it is really related or linked to colonization. Mm-hmm. It was a crop that was planted in countries where people were poor and exported yep. to countries where people were rich. And so yep. it was a drink that, yeah, was consumed by people and enjoyed by people in countries far away from where it was grown. Mm-hmm. And I guess to answer the second question around then what are some of the issues with the industry, I think a lot of them root from that history yep. in that when you've got an extractive commodity like coffee and you're taking it from one place and exporting it to another, you're very disconnected from the issues that are going on at origin. So lots of exploitation in the supply chain in terms of labor, a lot of cost cutting, a lot of middlemen and, you know, child labor is an aspect as well. Mm. And then in terms of sustainability, if you're working in regions that are poor and local people, you know, identify that coffee is a way to make money, yep. fair enough. You have sustainability issues around monocropping, mm-hmm. losing any level of biodiversity, because if you don't have money, why would you not plant something that could make you money? Yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah. And so in Uganda specifically, you know, and this varies depending on which context you're sourcing from, but Kua Mm. sources exclusively from Uganda. And they came out of a period of civil war. Coffee was seen by the government as the the cure to, I guess, the poverty that ensued after that. And so a lot of the coffee regions are just monocropped coffee with very low levels of biodiversity. So yeah, that's, that's one of the sustainability issues. Climate change is another big one. Yeah. Wow. And I'd like... It's exactly that. Like you go to your morning, like get your coffee and like in the morning and you're not thinking about like where this came from. Like it's literally like even the the carbon emissions of getting the coffee from the other side of the world, like you literally don't think about that. Like one cup of coffee has such a big impact. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting actually that you raised like importing it from overseas and the footprint Mm. of that because, and maybe like, I don't want to go too much off on a tangent, but you know, there's so much mystery around like where carbon pockets sit within supply chains. And for Mm. us actually shipping, even though Uganda is so far away from Australia makes up a very small percentage of our overall product footprint. Um, Yeah. So 
Yeah, and it's because of the mode of transport, like shipping compared to other ways. Like it takes three months for coffee to get from Uganda to Australia. And, yeah, I guess we take up a very small percentage of a shipping container when we're Mm. bringing product here. So, yeah, when we did our footprint assessment for the first time, we were quite shocked as well because we thought that that would be a big part of it, but it's not. Yeah, Mm. interesting. So, like, taking a little step back, Tell me more about Kua, like how Kua came about. Yeah, I'm, I'm so interested. Yeah. So it's 2023 now. So in 2017, our two, two of our co-founders, Darcy and Brody, were in northern Uganda. They were engineering students at the time and they were working with remote farmers on essentially trying to improve agricultural practice. But yep. when you think about it, like what do two white undergraduate kids from Australia know about how to improve agricultural practice in a context that, you know, (laughs) it's vastly different from Australia. But the interesting thing about the project is it was actually a partnership between UNSW, Australian Mm. University, and university out of Kampala, the capital city in Uganda. And so it was Australian students and Ugandan students coming together to work on these problems. And so the Ugandan students and the Australian students ended up on these farms because mm. they didn't really know a lot about the problems. Obviously the Ugandan students knew more than the Australian students, yeah. but they just became really good mates and they started to talk about different aspects of their upbringings and their lives. And one thing that came up inevitably when you're talking to Australians and Ugandans is coffee. Yeah. And so Darcy and Brody were sharing stories about the $5 latte that you you know, we sip on now, it's probably $6. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, it's like, it's only going up. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, in Sydney and, and the cafe scene and how we sit in the bearded barista with his denim apron. And then Dan, one of the students there was talking about his experience of, I guess, his family growing coffee. Mm. And he was a third generation coffee farmer, first in his family to go to university. And so was talking about, I guess, yeah, moving away from coffee, but has this long lineage in coffee, the community in the east of Uganda where he grew up, they were growing some of what he claimed to be the best Arabica coffee in the world. And so he went back to the east in this trip, brought some samples back to the north and Darcy and Brody brought them back to Australia. And then single O for any Sydney listeners, roasted the coffee, cupped the coffee, which is like a process of grading it. And they were like, oh, you've stumbled across some pretty good stuff here. And so from there, yeah, 2018, we started an organization to, yeah, essentially import coffee from these smallholder farmers and reinvest profits back in their communities. And then I guess the team was really passionate about climate change. And so we decided that we were going to build a business model here in Australia that was carbon positive or carbon negative, whichever way you want to marketed I suppose and so we thought about yeah essentially what we do is like four things different to your normal provider yeah most of our service is actually our coffee is delivered in reusable packaging in drums and we collect all of the spent coffee grounds and distribute them to a network of community partners at the moment most of our coffee grounds are being used by a garlic farmer in Huntley Vale just north of Sydney yeah about half a ton is going to her a week, oh, her whoa. farm. So, yeah, that's the first bit. So it's a yeah. nice closed-loop system. The second is we just import direct from smallholder farmers, so have yeah. a real focus on ethical sourcing, paying which above is, fair trade. Yeah, yeah, which is like a pretty 
unique, I guess, for the industry, right? Like I feel like I know of really big coffee companies that they just kind of like purchase from these like retailers over in like coffee growing countries. And you, it's, it's kind of not as clear the origins basically, like you can know areas, but you don't know the farms. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, yeah, for sure. There's lots of like buying stations where lots of smallholders will bring coffee to a lot and kind of the traceability of that commodity is lost and mm. it's mixed in and then import, uh, exported, sorry, to countries for sure. And yeah. a lot of just like massive conglomerates that buy fuck tons of coffee from smallholders, mix it all together and, and export it. So yeah, yeah you're totally right. Yeah. I would say though, like increasingly, and maybe what's unique about Australia and actually other markets as well is mm. because of this unique coffee culture that we have, there are a lot of small roasters that have direct trade relationships. I think what's more unique about Kua is I guess the third and fourth thing that we do differently which mm. is we measure our entire product footprint and we offset at 200%. Yeah. And then we also invest our profits back into those regions so local people can lead community resilience programs. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the sourcing thing, interestingly, is probably the least unique aspect of what we do. It's more the climate stuff that differentiates yeah. us. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Did you cover all four? I think so. Okay, yeah. good. I didn't yeah. want to cut you off too much. Just like two things that I thought of. The first, can you explain climate positive a little bit more for people that might not know what that means? For sure. Well, yeah. And and it's a tag like like elephant in the room is like yeah. when you hear a tagline like climate positive, mm. the climate cynics in us are like, what does that even mean? What do you mm. mean climate positive? Like can any organisation really be climate positive? Yeah. So different organisations might use this terminology, so I can only talk to, I guess, how Kua defines it. Yeah. For us, it's about thinking through your supply chain, sourcing in a way that is considering the impacts on the climate in doing that mm-hmm. and then also in quite literal ways of capturing scope three emissions, a full product footprint, understanding where emissions sit in your supply chain and other environmental, you know, processes and factors that cause damage Mm. and minimizing the harm of those things. And then, you know, once you've minimized the harm of those things, offsetting the remaining emissions and really just having a climate lens about every business decision we make. So whether it be, you know, we have compost home compostable packaging for mm-hmm. people that drink Kua at home and being really thoughtful about every element of our supply chain, I suppose, is is why I guess we feel brave enough to claim the tagline of climate positive coffee. Yeah. So that's what it means to us is is yeah. those things and, and just trying to make very climate related decisions and using frameworks like SBTI and actually yeah. thinking about it in I guess a really scientific way yeah, uh, rather than just going, you know, oh, this coffee is packaged in a recyclable bag and thus it is sustainable. Yeah. But like, have you thought There's about all so the much more behind it? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing that I thought of was like, how exactly is climate change going to impact the coffee industry or like, how is it already impacting the coffee industry? Yeah, great question. So the kind of high level statistic is that by 2050, 50% of the world's coffee growing regions will be wiped out due to climate Mm. change. 
various awesome. factors. Yeah, yeah, not great. <laughs> not a good statistic, not a happy statistic. No, you. and I'm sure people that are yeah. really relying on coffee every morning to get themselves out of bed and yeah. getting to their jobs are not going to like that statistic. Yeah, not going to like it. And tell you who's not going to like it more are the people that rely on it for their livelihoods. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so 50% is due to be wiped out, but I guess the optimism in that is that that would be if climate change continues to track at the rate that it is now. Yeah. So there's time to change things. But the way that it will impact is, I guess, your classic things. So temperature change and the way that coffee grows, mm-hmm. severe weather events that wipe mm. out coffee crops, the increase of disease. So there's lots of different diseases and pests that affect coffee and the way yeah. that they can breed in different climates. Mm. Also like climate migration, so people actually having to leave coffee farms and move to areas that are different because they can't they can no longer survive in in rural coffee growing environments in a lot of developing countries. So yeah, there's lots of different factors that will drive, I guess, that loss of of coffee farms. And so yeah, I guess the work that we invest in with our profits are all locally led solutions, climate resilience building activities that look to uh, safeguard against those things. So yeah. yeah, a lot of the projects that we work on are unsexy in the sense of like people's understanding of climate change, but yeah. we do a lot of funding, the digging of trenches to create like undulating waterways for water runoff and land stabilization. Mm. We do like tree planting and native grass planting for slope stabilization as well. But yeah, it's, it's a bit obscure, the kind of work that we do. Yeah. But it's, it's the type of, stuff that really has an impact on, on yeah. those areas. That's amazing. Mm. So in exciting news, you are merging with another coffee company, Common Folk Coffee. I am super interested to get your perspective on how being a sustainable and really like impact focus business, like put you in the best position to like pitch yourself and be able to merge with mm. another organization. Or like how that process came about, really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe to answer the last question first. So like the way that the process came about, I think when you asked me to tell a little bit about the Kua story and how it came to be, I probably missed the part where we started Kua in our last year of unis. We've been running it for five years. You know, it started in a share house. Six of us moved into a share house, worked on Kua for free for a year to see if it had legs. And then, yeah, the last kind of four years have been paid employees. Yeah. So it's, it's been amazing. And like, you know, we're obsessed with the work that Kua does, but full transparency as founders, we have, yeah, just we're bloody tired. Yeah, Um, of course. And we were looking for an organization that was values aligned and could help us take Kua to the next level, but also allow us to step back from day-to-day operational roles. Yeah. So yeah, we started to talk to different players in the industry and Mm. landed with common folk and why common folk and I guess why common folk was interested in Kua was really to do with the stuff that we've already discussed here. So the way that we were thinking about business, also our clients. So we were looking for speaking to quite a few different organizations Mm. uh, to see who was values aligned and who might be able to help us take Kua to the next level. And yeah, common folk, was the clear winner. Yeah. And yeah, there are a number of reasons for that. I think one is that we actually sourced from the same smallholder groups. Like they have sourced from Zakukabora before we have. And they're on this real journey in looking at how they make their own business more sustainable. And so 
one of the big value adds for them was this coming together, I guess, of how we think about business in relation to climate and sustainability and being able to pass lessons between the two organisations. And Common Folk is passing lessons around specialty coffee, you know, Mm. They're really well known for amazing quality products and community. They have a really amazing supportive community and they already have initiatives in terms of giving back. They have a program called A Cup That Counts where they donate 20 cents from all of their, from their cafes per cup that they sell to Zukukabora, the same cooperative that we, and help build coffee infrastructure in the region. So yeah, very, very values aligned Mm. and Kua will look, feel and taste the same. It'll just be, I guess, a different team running the day-to-day operations from the end of March. So, yeah, it's really exciting. exciting. I think, like, Kua is such a, like, a blueprint for being, like, a values-led, like, purpose-driven company. And I think, like, I mean, from my perspective, like, I'm sure any of the coffee companies that you were talking to were like saw that as such a like value add for them. So it is really nice to hear that you have found someone to merge with that like has that same value set and is like really excited to like better their processes and learn from your team. I guess this is a big question to ask, but what impact do you think this sort of merger means for I guess, the broader coffee industry. Like I'm sure Common Folk has an audience that you might not have yet and like that influence can, I guess, have like ripple effects across the Sydney industry and like throughout Australia as well. Yeah. It is a hard question Mm. to answer because sometimes you don't really think about the impacts until they've happened. Exactly. It's like you'll wait and see. Yeah. (laughs) I think like you know, even the merger of Kua and Common Folk, like we're still small players yeah. in, in the scene, even with us coming together. So mm. I think it's more, maybe if I was to think about the impact that Kua has, is it's more that when people touch Kua or interact with Kua, they think differently about the product or yeah. think differently about coffee. And similar, actually, I think with Common Folk's customers and their community is people think about coffee in a very different way. So I think like that will be that will be amplified with the coming together of the two of us. I think long term the real impact will be in what we're figuring out now. Just I was late to this recording because I've been on the phone to the lawyers, um, <laughs> but talking about I guess how we create a foundation that really yeah. serves coffee growing communities, and so we're looking at I guess broadening the definition of our foundation and looking to be able to fund different work through Mm. both the money that Kua makes, but also the money that Common Folk makes and, you know, long-term vision other coffee organisations. So if we were to create a foundation, which, you know, this might not happen, but this is kind of the working plan at the moment called a cup that counts, then Mm. any coffee organisation could donate profits to, to that organization or make contributions to the, that organization. And then that works as, yeah, a funding mechanism for yeah. impact projects. Um, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's probably the key thing I think that will come out of it. Yeah. Cool. And then you also mentioned that Kua was founded in your final year of uni, Sharehouse Vibes. Like what is your advice for young people that are looking to like forge a career that's like impact led or like within sustainability? And like, yeah, I I think like there's this idea of like sustainability jobs being out there, but like 
the industry hasn't grown to a point where you can say like, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do when I head down that career path. So I think it's really cool to say like people could look at you and say like, yeah, like I'm working to create a positive impact in like a certain industry. Like, yeah, what advice do you have? (laughs) Yeah. Mm, I still feel like a baby myself, so I find it difficult to give advice. (laughs) But let me try. Like just from my own reflections about this, I think like like one piece of advice is I think you can have impact anywhere. And Mm. what I mean by that is like if you go and work for a corporate organization, some corporate baddie in inverted commas, I actually think depending on the role that you take on in that organization, you can have a really profound impact because... I think, and I'm going to make an assumption here, (laughs) but I think it's a fair assumption, is that probably people that listen to this podcast are like maybe working on the outside of corporations like this. They really resist this idea of like, you like, you don't want to work for organizations like that again in inverted commas. The baddies. (laughs) The baddies. But I think that there's, there's some serious, yeah, there's some serious things to be said about actually needing to bring, bring people like, Project Planet listeners or people like you and I into organizations like that to push change. And it's not an easy job, but I think that. um, I mean, it takes a really specific person to like have the resilience to like continue pushing people in the right direction within those organizations. And those people are so important to the broader climate movement. So totally. And like the worst and yeah, like I've observed this where like, you don't want some crusty sustainability person, again, in inverted commas, <laughs> in these big organisations and the only reason that they've got that job is because they've moved from some other portfolio when suddenly this company's decided to set up a sustainability team. Yeah. Like you want people that really know about this stuff or yeah, at least can like think divergently about how a business is doing its operations or making decisions in-house. So I guess my, yeah, first piece of advice would be like, yeah, impact can be done anywhere and that Mm. can be in an entrepreneurial way, but I think don't discount the work that needs to be done in bad organizations (laughs) um, for change to happen. And I guess on that would be working in impact for a lot of people is a privilege. And I think that it's a really important thing to reflect on. Like if you're working on sustainability or on climate change or on injustice and you know there's a lot of people that work in that space that have first-hand experience and you know have their own levels of disadvantage and intersectional things going on yeah but I think for a lot of people you work in sustainability or an impact because you have a certain level of education yeah you're not having to like make ends meet like you you know you're having a higher level kind of job or role and so I think it's really important as anyone wanting to work in this space to just reflect on the privileges that it is to work in this space and to not like shit on others for having different ideas, I suppose, to like what you might have. Probably the third little thing would (laughs) be. Full of advice. (laughs) Yeah, you've got a little little rant now. (laughs) Would be be values led. Like I think in any of those environments, like whether you're in a corporate or you're working for a startup or whatever, lead from a place of, values and make decisions from a place of values. And I think that that's what will change things over the long term is if people start to make decisions based on things that they really do care about, even when it's hard, we'll be in a much better place. Because I think that there's very few people that don't care about the environment or don't, but it's just that it's hard in a lot of ways. And this again Mm. comes with 
privilege, I think, of like being able to lead a life that's values led. But yeah. Yeah, I don't know I whether that. that was that good, but no, yeah. I loved it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we like to finish our episodes with an action item that our listeners can do to one, be hotter and <laughs> to help the world get cooler. Yeah. So I'm going to hand it over to you. What do you, what would you like our listeners to do after hearing this podcast episode? Yeah. Of course, buy cooler coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> it could it's literally be like have something. All of these little I things. know. A little something that you do in your everyday life that's like a sustainable thing that they can do. Yeah. I'm sure like this is a, I think this is a cliche answer when it comes to talking about climate change. Yeah. But I think a lot of stuff is bigger than individuals, but I think the things that individuals do have control over that will have an impact over time because we live in a capitalistic society Mm -hmm. are things like banking and superannuation. So like it's a cliche answer, but I think like if you haven't thought about who you bank with and what their position is on climate change or who your superannuation fund invests in, I'm not giving specific institutions because I think you can get in trouble for that. Yeah, we're, we're not influencers. I, yeah, we're not <laughs> no, I totally agree. I totally but, agree. But I think that that's a really easy, good one to do. Yeah, cool. Thank you so yeah. much for joining me today. 